you will, take your Bibles and turn to John 21. John 21. I hope this moment's not lost on you. He makes a way where there is no way. John 21. Not long ago, I heard Richard Blackaby, Dr. Richard Blackaby, son of Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God. I heard him uh, tell a story, a long illustration about, about love. I mean, we say we love our Lord, we say we love our wives, we say we love our kids, we say we love our dogs, our boats. Today we're going to ask a question, who do you love? I heard Richard tell this story, and he was telling it at an evangelism conference, how he ultimately realized that his best friend, Lisa, was the person he was in love with and would marry, and now been married to for over 30 years but it's only Richard can. He he tells this story in, in a funny way. It's uh, he's always very humorous. But then he drives on a point. He he tells the funny part, and then he drives home that that point to our lives. And this was the point. He said, "You know what? I don't have to talk about Lisa. Nobody has to encourage me to talk about Lisa." And then he pointed it at us preachers, and he said, "Here's the thing, guys." And so I'm gonna point it at you. Here's the thing. Preachers spend their entire lives trying to get us to tell someone about Jesus, the one that we say that we love. Richard made this point. He said, it's been my experience that you don't have to intimidate or encourage people to tell you about somebody they love because they'll just do it. And if you don't believe me, walk up to any grandparent. They'll tell you about their grandkids. The only thing worse than a grandparent is a great-grandparent. And they'll tell you all of the things that you don't want to know. Amen? Because they love them. Today we're going to look at this, this passage of Scripture. We're going to ask this question that, that was asked there. So I ask you now. Ask you now. Who do you love? What do you love? What's the most important thing in your life? And how does it control your life? In Acts 19, there's a story of Paul coming to the church, to Ephesus. <clears throat> and in Ephesus, he found about a dozen men, and they believed in Jesus. Well, what he did, he baptized them in the name of Jesus, and then he imparted into them the Holy Spirit, so they would be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, he stayed there for two years trying to teach them and help them get grounded. And they ultimately came to the point where they loved Jesus so much that they had a book burning of all the books that didn't square with the Word of God. And it's estimated by historians and theologians that they burned, are you listening? That they burned close to $5 million worth of books. Why did they do that? Because they loved Jesus so much that they didn't have time for anybody else and they didn't want anybody else to take center stage of their life. 
Now, that sounds pretty good. Jesus was their first love. This is yes, I know that you're awake, okay? And you think that's pretty good, don't you? Well, I told you it was Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. And then you get to Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus is writing in 2 and 3 to those seven churches. And the lead church, the first church he writes to is the church at Ephesus. And this is what he says. After I've told you that story, he said, look, he said, I have something against you. I know your works. I know all the good things you've done, but I have something against you. You know what it is? You have left your first love. You have lost your first love. You have abandoned your first love. And the truth is, is that it's against that backdrop of having this first love of Jesus and then being able to walk away. It's against that backdrop that we're going to come to to the scripture you see on the screen, John 21. This This is the part that we generally say is the restoration of Peter to Jesus. And actually, I don't think the restoration of of Peter is limited to 15 through 17. It's all this 21st chapter. In fact, when I read the end of the 20th chapter, it's like John was about to end his book and the Holy Spirit said to John, wait a minute, I don't want everybody to forget Peter. I, I, Peter was, was good and, he, and I want you to write about him. And so here's the thing. I, I want you to get a, a whole picture of this. John 21 opens and, and, G, and uh, Peter And approximately six of his uh, fellow disciples are sitting on the seashore. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I went fishing yesterday. There's nothing wrong with going fishing, but there was more to it than that. Peter, you remember? Peter, Simon Peter, Andrew, and James, and John. Those four guys were professional fishermen. When Peter said, I'm going fishing, you know what he said, in essence? He said, they were sitting there talking. We'll talk about that, about probably what they were talking about. They're sitting there talking. He gets up and he says, I don't know about you guys. I'm going fishing. That's what he said. I'm going back to what I used to do because I gave that a good shot. I gave him a good shot. I I gave him three years. That was enough. And it didn't work out, so I'm going fishing. And they go fishing. And they catch nothing. And then after they fished all night, Jesus shows up where they were. And he calls to them. And I'm going to tell you this story. I didn't tell first hour. didn't have time. Is that he calls to them and said, you caught anything? No, we didn't catch anything. Well, all of us amateur fishermen, that's bad stuff. But if you're a professional fisherman, that's really bad. And he says, okay, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Can you imagine? Who does this guy think he is? We have been casting the nets on the right side of the boat, the left side of the boat, deep, shallow, all night long we caught nothing. But they did what Jesus said. And the net was so heavy with fish that it almost broke. Peter jumped in, swam to shore. Then Peter gets back out in the water and helps him bring the net to shore. So now I want you to get this picture of where we are when we get to verse 15. In verse 15, you have a campfire. Jesus has prepared breakfast. He's prepared some fish. And what I'm about to tell you is my glorified imagination. 
putting a little humanity on this story. But if you think about it, I think it plays out pretty close to this. You have Jesus sitting here. He had, he's kind of the hostess. He's fixed the fish. I envision James and John were on his left and right. You know why? Because that's where they always wanted to be. And now they had a chance to get there. On his left and right. Then you go around the campfire. You had four other disciples, two of them unnamed. And they're sitting there. And I picture Peter sitting opposite of Jesus. He, by design, on purpose, put the fire between him and Jesus. Why? Because Peter was still reeling. He was still hurting. He was still smarting, if you will, from his failure. You remember his failure? They were at the Last Supper. And Jesus said, you're going to be scattered. And Peter said, the rest of these rascals, they may run, they may run, they may hide, they may deny you, but you can count on me, Jesus. Oh, Peter. (laughs) Peter, before the cock crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And he rebuked Jesus, said it wasn't so. And then you know the story, he denied Jesus three times. And here's what I'm going to tell you, I think Peter remembered. Men, you'll know this well. It's called the look. When Peter, do you remember the story when he denied Jesus the third time? The cock crew. And Jesus turned, the scripture says, and they caught eyes. Can you imagine what went through Peter's mind? Scripture said he left and he ran. And he cried. Never hear anything else from Peter from that point until the resurrection when Jesus says, watch this, go tell my disciples and Peter. You see, Jesus had an assignment for Peter. And now they're sitting around the fire and they had some business to do. We're not around a fire this morning, but we're his people gathered. And I have a deep belief in my heart that when we gather that he wants to be here, if we'll let him, that he wants to speak to us. He wants to do business with us like he did with Peter because he's got plans for you just like he had plans for Peter. Being in a church service is just not about doing your time, listening to some good music and enduring a message. It's about God wanting to do something with your life and mind. So if you would, if you can, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word, John 21. We'll pick up in verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I can imagine there's a little silence. And he says, yes, Lord. That's all he said. You know I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. I feel like there's a little silence between the first question, the second question, the second question, and the third question. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for the minutes that remain, I pray that you'll be very real in this place, very real in our hearts. Speak so we can hear and help us respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus Christ came, lived, died, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven for all people. For Peter. For you. But the thing he asks of us is that we love him. I mean, he's loved us. I mean, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. And at just the right time, God sent Jesus. Jesus was that only son for us. And he calls us to himself. And not only does he call us to himself, he calls us to follow him. He calls us to love him. And when we get off track, like Peter did, Jesus comes to his own, guys. He comes to his own. And he brings us back to himself. Jesus asked three questions. We think it's the same question, but I think each question is a little different. So that's, I'm just going to run around those questions just for the next few minutes. He begins with a predictable question. A predictable question. Why is it predictable? It's because Jesus spent his life asking questions. I have on my computer in my office, I have, I have a list of a, over 130 questions that Jesus asked. Generally, Jesus asked people questions to get them to say audibly what they are thinking or feeling in their heart and their soul. And it's not because he wants to hear. It's not because he has to find out. It's because he wants you to know. I mean, he asked questions like, why are you so afraid? Or, or why do you doubt? Or, or who do you say that I am? Or what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Can, could you not watch with me but one hour? Huh. I told first hour, he probably asked a Baptist, why are you so dull and downhearted and why do you not have a smile on your face? Why is the joy of the Lord not your strength? But the truth is, the questions of Jesus are pointed and they're purposeful. They're pointed at our hearts with a purpose of revealing us to ourselves. And I, 
I just like to pause to say, some in this room quite likely need yourself revealed to yourself, because what you think about yourself, or what your mate thinks, or what your best friend thinks, are two different things. There's some of us that that what we think about ourselves, what God thinks about us, is entirely different. Peter fell hard to deny Jesus who he walked with physically for three years. He fell hard. So this question is predictable. It's the first step. Now, I've already painted the picture where, where you got Jesus, James, and John, two disciples, and Peter is on the other side of the fire. They're around the fire. It's probably just after daybreak. The sun's not really risen, so the light of the fire is kind of showing everybody their face as, as daylight comes. And I can imagine Peter sitting, are you watching? I can imagine Peter sitting across the fire from Jesus He's got his fish in his hand, and he's looking out at the... He's not even looking at Jesus. Won't make eye contact with Jesus. You know how it is? When you know you've done somebody wrong, you don't make eye contact with them. Now, he's not mad at Jesus. He's ashamed of himself for how he's, what he's done. Can you imagine the tension? You could have probably cut the tension with a knife around that fire because the disciples knew what was going on. The elephant around the fire was Peter and Jesus, and nobody was addressing it. Probably the only talk around the fire was small talk, and the silence was deafening. Probably the first time that they really had a meeting like this. So I can imagine Jesus looking right at Peter. Peter staring off at, at the water and eating his fish. Peter, Simon, Simon, Peter. Do you love me more than these? Now, the more than these could have been a lot of things. There's been a lot of conjecture about it. Or Jesus could have pointed at the boat and the ocean and said, as if to say, you said you were going fishing. Do you love me more than this? More than these boats and this fishing? He could have said, do you love me more than this food I've prepared for you? He could have said, do you love me more than your fellow disciples love me? I mean, it's Peter that said, they all may forsake you, but not me. And so now Peter is sitting there eating the fish prepared by the hand of Jesus and swallowing a little humble pie. But just like us, Jesus had to start Peter's spiritual recovery right where it had gotten off track. May I just give this to you? If your spiritual life is off track, I didn't ask your church attendance, your Sunday school attendance, your youth group uh, attendance, I ask, if your life is off track with Jesus, he's going to start you right back at that same point where you left. Whatever sin it was, whatever thing turned you away, whatever it was that replaced that first love, he's going to bring you right back like he, just like he did Peter. 
He didn't begin with, Peter, do you respect me? Do you honor me? Peter, i got big plans for you. Man, let's look at the future. Don't you want to preach Pentecost? There's 3,000 people going to be saved. I, come on, Peter. He didn't start there. He started at the very basic level of Peter's life. And he begins there with you and me. Do you love me? Do you have faith in me? I can imagine Peter sitting across there when Jesus asked the question, Peter, do you love me more than these? I don't think he turned his head, folks. I think he's looking at the water and he just cut his eyes around. Yeah, Lord, I love you. And kept eating his fish. Because he didn't want to get into the discussion. He gave a short answer to an extended question. I think about how how often and how much I'm like Peter. How about you? Jesus asked you the question, do you love him? Yeah. Do you love me more than these? Hmm. Predictable question. The second was a powerful question. Powerful question. I say it's a powerful question, but listen is that any time a person asks you the same question two times in a row, something's afoot. Teenagers, this is free. It's not in my notes. If I told you this before, repetition is the mother of learning. Please listen. If your parents ask you a question about something you've done, and they ask you a second time, you will save yourself a lot of grief to just fess up. They already know. You see, the truth is, this was a powerful question. It was almost like Jesus was saying, Peter, are you sure about that? Are you sure you, is that your story? Are you sticking to it? Are you sure? I mean, folks, think about this. Being around that fire, can you imagine the tension around the fire when Jesus tried to drill down into Peter's heart and reveal what was actually there? You see, the truth is, is that, is that they probably knew what was going on in Peter's mind. The disciples did that was there. Because that was likely back at the first and second verses when they were sitting on the seashore before they went fishing. That was ex- probably what they were t- talking about. But here's the truth. When he asked this powerful question, the question the second time, the disciples come to understand that Jesus was not going to let it go. He was going to deal with it. But please listen, brothers and sisters, friends. Jesus never lets sin go. It's the very reason that he went to the cross. It's for your sin and mine. In my mind, as I think about that campfire, can you get that picture in your mind? Have I painted it good enough? I think about it as this conversation kind of was raised to another level. I can see a couple of those disciples getting up 
and deciding to go down to the seashore to see if there were some fish down there. They didn't want to be in this conversation. So I can see them getting up and just kind of walking away because the tension level, it was so uncomfortable. I mean, I mean, we like the result of discipline. We like the result of restoration. We just don't want to be around when it takes place because it's too painful to watch. But Jesus was all in to restore Peter just like he's all in to restore you. Just like he's all in to restore me. His primary focus was not to get Peter to preach or to heal or to cast out demons or perform miracles again. His primary focus was to, was to get Peter's foundation back on solid ground of saying, Yes, Lord, I love you and I love you with all my heart. My life will show it. But Peter's answer was, yes, Lord, I love you. It was good, but it was not enough. And Jesus wasn't through. Both, Both times he told him, he said, you know, if you read there, it said, feed my lambs and shepherd my sheep. So now Jesus is going to raise the ante one more time. He asked a predictable question. He asked a powerful question. But then it comes to the personal question. Why do I say personal question? He said, Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? I've already told you I want to put some humanity on this story so we can learn the the lessons Jesus wants us to learn. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Let me, let me not tell you. Let me just ask you this. Are you ready? This is a you question. Are you ready? How many in this room, don't raise your hands, for goodness sake, how many in this room get really irritated when somebody asks you the same question three times? Uh-huh. Don't punch your husband or your wife. Stop it, all right? The same question three times, man, that gets, it come, it's more than personal. But Jesus did exactly that. Asked the same question three times. Well, in the English he did. I I told the first hour, I'm not smarter than anybody or more intellectual than anybody. Don't consider myself more spiritual than anybody else. I'm a pilgrim, a struggler, and a traveler on a journey just like you are. But I am somebody at my age who sees the need to continually, daily study the Word of God and learn the lessons that He wants me to have. I may be older in body, teenagers, but I'm still young in spirit. Having said that, in my view, the English version of the Bible does not really unveil the truth of that conversation. I don't care whether you have the King James, the New King James, English Standard Version, or the Christian Standard Version, which I happen to read from this morning. I've heard people say this was not right. I'm going to tell you how, as I've lifted it out of the original language, I just want, I just want you to see that, that this is bigger than what we think it is. Some preacher at some time in your past has told you that the about the Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And the Greek lang- <laughs> I have trouble with English, so I don't really hover on Greek language too much. I never mastered English, so uh, I'm going I'm to give you the lessons that I've learned. We have one word for love. I've already said you love your dog, you love your wife, 
You love your children, you love your grandchildren, you love your boat, you love your golf clubs, you love your hunting. You just love everything. One word. The Greek language has about nine words, but there's only three main ones that's used in the Bible. So hang on, I don't want you to miss this. The first word for love is agape. You've heard that. That's God's love. That's the in spite of love. That means he, that you love no matter what. It's just a, it's a giving love. Second word is the word phileo, phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O, and derivatives, and that is brotherly love. That's like the guys love each other in a, in a brotherly, sisterly way. The third word is the word eros, from which we get the word erotic. It's the sensual love between a husband and a wife. For our purposes, the first two words come into play for what we're going to look at right here. For you see, when Jesus asked the question, it seems to me that Peter kind of skirted the answer and didn't answer the question that Jesus asked. I'd have probably said to Peter after I asked that, if I'd have been Jesus and I'm not, and you're thankful and I'm thankful I'm not, but if I'd have been Jesus and, and I asked him, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. You know, I phileo you, brotherly love. I mean, I'd have probably said, Peter, that's a really good answer. Thanks for your words, but you didn't answer the question that I asked. I asked you a different question. I believe that first question is a question so apropos in this room today. People, put your name there. Do you agape me? Do you love me like God loves you? Do you love me in spite of everything else? Do you, do you love me? I wonder if I was asked that question of the Lord, if I'd be like Peter and not really be able to look in the eyes of Jesus, but rather just kind of cut my eyes over. Because I know that what he's asking and what I'm saying are two different things. But then it comes again, do you love me? And I think it's like Jesus said, Peter, do you really understand what I ask do you really agape me? I want to say this to you guys. This impacts me. I get a little knot in my chest. If Jesus says, do you agape me? I want to hear. I want to know. Sometimes, sometimes, People come to church and they hear these messages and they just blow them off. Because, of I, because I am so keenly aware of who I'm going to stand before one day, and it's not the deacon body, it's not the staff, it's not anybody else, it's the Lord Jesus. When I hear these questions, they permeate my being. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter says, second time, yeah, Lord, you know, I phileo you. I, I love you like a brother. A good answer. Question not asked. 
Then finally Jesus just looks at him. This is in the original language. Peter, do you phileo me? Now the word's changed. Can I just give you one, how it's played out in one's life? It seems to me that Jesus said, Peter, do you agape love me? Yeah, Lord. You know that I like you. Peter, do you agape love me? Yeah, Lord. You know I like you. The third question is, Peter, do you even like me? And it's at that point that he finally struck a heart and struck a chord in Peter's heart. And Peter goes, Lord, you know everything. And if I would be a little be a little loose with the scripture, I think Peter's heart was, Lord, you know everything. You know how I failed you. I'm afraid to say how I, I used to be so arrogant and I would tell you how much I love you and how much I was going to stay with you that I'd never forsake you. But I am just a flawed person. Lord, you know everything. I'm sorry. I love you. I phileo you. And at that point, his life changed. You go over into Acts and he's the one that stands and delivers the message. He's restored in his fellowship. He's restored in his heart. Because once again, the love is there. I ask you today, is there someone in this room who A, has never experienced the agape love that Jesus offers through faith and trust? Through following Him. Jesus said, follow me. If you love me, tend my sheep, shepherd my flock, feed my sheep. How? Follow me. If you've never invited Christ in your life, He wants you. He'll forgive you of your sin. He will cleanse you of your past. He will make everything right before the Father. That's called justification. If you give it all to Him. I'll give, you, I'll give you an opportunity to do that in a second. Chances are there's some folks here. Yeah, I've trusted Christ, but boy, I'm kind of like Peter. I never meant to deny him. I never meant to walk away from him, but I did. And now he's asking me. He's asking you. Do you love me? If he asks you that today, not just what would you say. It's what would your life say. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God of the second chance. I pray for every person in this room I pray that you will speak to us and that we will respond to you. That we will be like Peter and admit that you know everything and because you know everything, we want you to be our everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand.